Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. We are in a brand new series, a series walking through um, the summer through the book of Colossians. I, there is, I love nothing more than a Sunday service walking through for weeks and weeks and weeks, walking through a particular book of the Bible. And in step with what this Sunday has been already, I hope that this summer can be a summer of edification, encouragement, uplifting, because the book of Colossians is meant for that. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, it is meant to take you and just fill your heart so that you are overflowing with faith. And in step with this, like I said, I, I want to share an encouraging story for you, a real story, a, a true story. This goes back about a year. I was helping coach tennis, the boys' tennis team here in Napoleon. And, and through that, I was able to meet um, a young man. His name is Braden Bossman. Don't worry. He, he let me know that I could talk about him on stage today. And over the course of this tennis season, I got to know the guys, and we had a lot of fun. But one particular practice, I noticed that Braden was sitting on a bench by himself afterwards. And Braden was a, a, a guy, he had never played tennis before, and there were certain insecurities that, that he came into the tennis court with. And, well, this was a particular bad practice. He just really couldn't get the shots down. And so I, I, take, I take notice of this, and I go and I sit beside him on the bench, and we start talking, and he starts sharing a few things, and I'm realizing, this is more than tennis. This is more than a tennis issue, and we, we get talking. And the Holy Spirit, and this might sound mystical and fantastic to some of you, but the, I just felt this pressing, like, hey, this, this, this guy needs to hear about Jesus. If I'm going to be a tennis coach as a pastor, I'm, this, he needs to hear about Jesus. And I, in that moment, I just tell him about Jesus. And I, I invite him to come to our church, and he actually received it. Now, from that point forward, he, he didn't start coming to youth group immediately. He didn't start coming to church, to this church, or talking about his faith immediately. But here's what he didn't do. He didn't start avoiding me after I talked to him about Jesus. And if someone doesn't avoid you after you talk to them about Jesus, hey, that seems to be an invitation to keep on talking with them. Keep on building that relationship, building the trust. And I wasn't too anxious to keep on pounding him with it, but that rapport began to build and build and build. And, you know, months later, we ended up talking again. He's like, hey, can I, can I come talk to you? He came to my office. We, we start talking. And I was looking at him like, hey, man, you need Jesus. And it, I mean, he had, been, he had been feeling isolated and, and, and alone and insecurities were just filling him up. And I just, you need Jesus, okay. Okay, and at the point, this point in time, his girlfriend starts to come to the youth group because she had been on the girls' tennis team, and now she, she's coming. And so he starts coming every once in a while. He, he starts coming. It's not super consistent. It's not a super high priority, but he's coming. He's learning. And over time, he, he starts coming more and more. And next thing you know, he's here on a Sunday morning. And this has been maybe seven months. It's been seven months since our first conversation. He ends up here on a Sunday morning. Oh, hey, Brayton, good to see you. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. Awesome to see you. And next thing you know, it's more and more consistent. Sunday mornings, Wednesday, Wednesday evenings, youth group. He's, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And next thing you know, we're having a baptism service. 
And in this baptism service, he watches Gracie Butler, his, his girlfriend, he watches her get baptized, taking, taking ownership of her faith. And if you've been here for a baptism service, you know there are no Sundays quite like baptism Sundays. And he's sitting there and he, whew, and he didn't say it then. He didn't tell anybody then, but in his mind, he's like, I think this is my next step. I think this is my next step, but he knows that he doesn't want to ride this emotional train. So he takes a little bit and he's now coming to youth group on a regular basis. And it's, and it's, it's amazing. And we talk one more time and I, I, hey, keep on pursuing your faith, man. Keep on pursuing your faith. Keep on going. And there's still insecurities and there's still loneliness and there's still uh, bouts of this and that, and, but keep on pursuing. We get to the second, to the last week of our youth group. And I wasn't even teaching that Wednesday, so I don't know what that has to say for it, but he comes up to me afterwards. Hey, remember that time that Gracie got baptized? Yeah, I remember. When's the next one? Before I know it, him and I are both bawling our eyes out here, right, right in front. I'll never forget it. And so I tell him, hey, come to my office. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about that moment. We're going to talk about what this decision means for you. And it was three weeks later, he finally gets to my office. And it ended up being a really good thing because as he, as he took those three weeks, the emotions kind of dwindled down. And now he's in my office. And, you know, people, they have Sunday school answers. They have the right answers. But, you, you know, maybe they just don't really know what it means. And I just look at him like, tell me about this decision. Why do you want to get baptized? He's like, because I'm not the same guy I, I was a year ago. This is a, now, he's going to be a senior in high school. I'm not the same guy that I was a year ago. Yeah? Well, why is that? Because I know Jesus. Because of Jesus. And, and yeah, we, we tell our kids, okay, yeah, that's the Sunday school answer. Jesus is always the answer. But I, I'm telling you, you look into this kid's eyes. And he had found something. He had discovered something and he decided it was time for him to take ownership of his faith and how he wants to get baptized. And at that moment, I then, we then begin to walk back and we begin to make these connections, these dots. We begin to connect the dots for him and I begin to show him how the Holy Spirit all throughout his life had led him to that moment. Every decision that he had made, the Holy Spirit, God had been chasing after him, preparing his heart, weaning him down. And all of a sudden we found ourselves on a bench in the middle of a tennis season, having no idea what was about to happen, but that became a clinch pin for his faith becoming real when Jesus became a reality in his life. And as I made help him make these connections, like, hey man, remember this, remember this, remember this. And he's like, Holy cow. You, and he's like, God was chasing after me all the way back then. And then he began thinking, but it goes well before tennis. It goes well before that bench. And he began thinking, and he made this realization. He had this realization that God had been chasing after him in all of his decisions up to that point in time, and he's still chasing after him. And so Braden comes into my office full of faith wanting to tell me that he's this new man, this new person, because he knew Jesus. And yeah, he was full of faith. But I tell you what, at the end of that meeting, when he left my office, he was overflowing with faith because it wasn't just one moment. It wasn't just in the present. He realized that God had been chasing after him his entire life. Now, come on, people. Are we not excited about this? 
Holy cow, I know, it's 9 a.m. You guys, thank you. Can we, this is good. This is praiseworthy. God was chasing him down and this man walked out of my office overflowing. He wanted to learn more. He wanted to dig more. He's been reading. He's been reading the Bible on his own. The hardest book of the Bible, Romans. He's been reading on his own to discover more. Braden came into my office full of faith, but he left overflowing. Now I say all of that. And I'm, I think I'm the only one excited here. But I, I say all of that. Because as Christians, as Christians, we, we need to be overflowing with our faith. There are, there are times where we, yes, we have faith. We know faith. We, we understand that Jesus died for our sins, but we're walking in our life. And yeah, I know it and I believe it. And I'm, I'm trying to rest in it. But we're not overflowing with it. It's not contagious. Bad days, good days. It's not, it's not flowing into people around us. Friends, as we walk through this summer, wherever you are at in your faith journey, whatever you are going through, whatever season of life it may be for you, I hope the book of Colossians will meet you in a place so that each and every Sunday you walk out of this building overflowing with faith. My prayer is that you would allow God to meet you in a place where you are at right now so that you would walk out of here and you would be able to make connections. You'd be able to realize and recognize that God has been, continues, and will forever be chasing after you to embrace you and your walk. So what, what must we do? What must we recognize as Christians in order to overflow with faith perpetually, even in the bad days? I'm not talking about always being happy and, and, and go lucky and everything. No, no, no. I'm talking that even in the darkest moment of your life, when someone encounters you, they encounter Jesus Christ. What must we do? What must we, we constantly, consistently, constantly recognize in order to overflow with faith? Well, I'm telling you right now, as Paul is writing the book of Colossians, he has this in mind. He wants to come and fill our hearts. He wants to come and fill our hearts so that he, we might change our minds so that our hands and feet never stop moving for the kingdom of God. This is what the book of Colossians is all about. So that Paul would fill our hearts to affect, to change the way we see things, our perspective, in order that our hands and feet never stop moving for the kingdom of Christ. So today we're going to see three things. We're going to see three things in Colossians 1 that Paul addresses, that Paul answers for us in this question. What must we recognize? And after we recognize those three things, we're going to be told, go and do. May this be your life. So if you join me as we embark in the book of Colossians, Colossians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And we'll stop here for just a moment. 
We'll stop here because we need to dig into what Paul is doing. Paul opens his letters in all sorts of unique ways. He writes a huge portion of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Thessalonians. All of these ends, he writes these. And he opens them up in unique ways. And in this case, Paul is writing, first and foremost, here's what we need to recognize. And any good Bible study would show this to you. In fact, I was talking with Candy just this last week. She's like, hey, are you going to make this point? Because every Bible study I've listened to made this point. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make that point, actually. Here's what you need to realize. Jesus is mentioned throughout. There is no other book that is so explicitly, yes, the whole Bible is about Jesus. I get that. But Colossians is another level. It is saturated with Jesus. The first four verses alone, and we'll get to verse four. The first four verses alone mention Jesus's name four different times. Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. This is the foundation of everything. And Paul, and you're like, well, yeah, isn't this the case for, yes, it is the case for everything. But Paul is, he's writing to this particular church in this particular way because he wants them to realize that this isn't about them. It's all about Jesus. Because right now, the Colossian church, they are struggling with insecurity. They are struggling with disqualification. They're, just, they're struggling with discouragement. And he's saying, look, 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 look. Stop, stop comparing. Stop thinking, stop doubting. Or at least in the middle of your doubt, recognize It's all about Jesus. And so Paul opens his letter with Jesus, 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 Jesus. But another thing that he does, he says, hey, I am an apostle. He's recognizing his authority. He's demonstrating, he's showing, I am an apostle. Apostle was like the, they at that point in time, they are the ones that have had contact with with Jesus or with a follower of Jesus. And they have been touched by him specifically to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in a very particular kind of way. And so he's coming in saying, I am an apostle. But here's what's crucial. He doesn't say, I'm an apostle because I've done this, 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 and this. No, he says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I did not earn this. I did not achieve this. Nothing in my life made me, made me um, win this. I am an apostle because of the will of God. He has commissioned me for this. I am not greater. I am not lesser. I am an apostle by the will of God. By the will of God, Paul was commissioned with his job as an apostle. Friends, today, you and I, as Christians... We don't earn our way, we don't win our way, we don't achieve our way into becoming children of God. We are children of God because he is enough for us. It's not about us being enough for God in order to earn the status of being a child of God. We, are in this, uh, we get to be children of God because he already is enough for us. By the will of God, you and I are his creation, his children. And look what it says here as we jump in to verse 3. So now that Paul has uh, declared his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he greets the brothers and sisters. And going into verse 3, he says this, We always thank God for you. We always thank God for you. Here is this man, this apostle, this high-ranking person of God. And he's saying, man, I'm so thankful for you. Can you imagine how significant this would have been to a church that's struggling with their identity, struggling with insecurity, struggling with discouragement. And here is this apostle 
and he is writing to them, and he's saying, I am, we are thankful for all of you. And not only are they thankful, look what it says as, he, as, as it continues. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So not only is Paul saying, hey, we are thankful for you. He's saying, hey, look, we've been praying for you. And it's not one of these things to where it's saying, God, I pray that they would just treat me better, that they would be nicer to me. He is saying, God, I thank you. I thank you for who these people are, for what they're doing for your kingdom. We thank you. Father, we thank you. We lift their needs up to you. I mean, imagine as you are reading this and you are feeling isolated, you're feeling alone, you're feeling like you're doing all of this and no one knows that you're there and you get this letter from an apostle of Jesus Christ and he's saying, not only am I thankful for you, but you are in my prayer life and he means it. This is a key reminder, a key reminder from Paul to the church of Colossae saying you are not alone. You're not in this by yourself. You're not in this on your own. I, though not physically present with you, I am there with you in spirit. You are not alone. And when I found Braden on that bench, he did feel alone. He felt isolated, which was a lie. He had, he had people around him who loved him. But imagine with me for just one second, Imagine with me that if Braden had been on that bench and he knew in that moment that there was a God chasing after him and that he truly was not alone and that there was going to be a church family ready to welcome him in, to welcome him in, to love on him. Can you imagine the impact that would have had on his very soul? And Paul is looking to the church in Colossae saying, you are not alone in this. It's by the will of God that you are a part of this family. Friends, today, you and I, we need to recognize, first and foremost, our number one thing, that we are not in this alone. Paul is writing this letter. He's opening up this letter so that you and I, so that his readers may be encouraged and they can know, we can know that we are surrounded by a body, by a church family, ready to come around each and every one of us at any given moment. We are not alone. Sometimes we feel isolated, but that doesn't mean that we are alone. Sometimes we feel unseen, we feel unheard, we feel misunderstood. Friends, look around. I'm serious, look around, look to the other side of the room. Look around. There's not a single person in here that is alone in their faith walk, in their faith journey. There's not a single person in here that wants the other to not win and succeed in their faith journey. We may not know your name, I apologize. I may not know your name, but I'm telling you right here, right now, that there is a family ready to embrace you in your journey of faith. Thank you. Friends, we are not alone. And in this moment, 
You don't just have other people around you ready to surround you. You have a God that is chasing after you. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, it's funny, as I was talking with Braden, he was saying, you know, I never once thought, I'd always heard, I never once thought that God was actually doing something in my life. When we started making those connections, it was like, light bulb. And in that moment, he didn't just recognize that God was there in that room presently. He recognized that his thought was wrong, that God actually had been chasing after him his entire life in all of his decisions. Friends, right now, if you are in this room, take this as your explicit sign. God loves you. He's chasing after you. If you came here saying, God, give me a sign that you are real, I am telling you, this is it. Don't go a year and think to yourself, God's not moving. Friends, there is no greater sign than being told you are loved by God. And you're not alone. And we want to come around you. Worship, connect, serve. Man, how are you connecting? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I don't know how to connect. This is all brand new to me. We are giving it to you on a silver platter. Connect with us. We want to connect with you. Guess what? We got Dave and Brittany Dooley here, which means more people can connect with more of us. During the week, we got open doors. We want to connect. This family wants to connect. We are not alone. First thing that we must recognize, we are not alone. And friends, right now, maybe you don't feel alone. Would you go find someone who does feel alone? Would you help them recognize that they aren't? Would you be that sign that they need to help them realize that God is chasing after them and that they they have a family that loves them? Let's continue. Into verse 4. So in verse 3, he said, When we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So we go from Paul helping us recognize. We go from Paul helping us remember and realize that we are not alone. But now he's going on. He's furthering the filling of the heart. He's saying, hey, your love for the saints You love these things. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. Here's this church struggling with identity, struggling with insecurity, struggling with discouragement and everything else. And Paul says, no. In fact, your impact on those, on the, the, the believers, the saints, your impact and your love on them has been made known. I have heard about it. You have an impact on the world around you. You are having an impact on the world around you. Yeah, you may not get everything right. But your love for the saints, your love for the people of God is known to the world, known to me. And I commend you in that. You want to talk about a source of encouragement. You want to talk about being able to be edified is knowing that your actions are not in vain. Your actions, your faith, your love is having an impact and an influence on those around you. All because, all because of where their hope was placed. Look what it says there. 
the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Your impact, your influence, your love has been made known. But look where their love is coming from. Their love is a direct result of where their hope was placed. Friends, for you and for me, we want to love on our neighbors. But our love depends on where our hope is placed. If your hope is placed on finances, relationships, success, if your hope is placed on, on your kids doing well, if your hope is placed on your job succeeding, if your hope is placed on anything that could possibly fail and inevitably will, so goes your love. And Paul is saying, look, 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 look. Your love that's been made known to us, it comes as a direct result of where your hope is from. Your hope, which is placed in the eternal, never-failing, never-ending, forever-lasting gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Your love that is placed in this gospel, your hope that is placed in this gospel, is what's causing your love to be made known to the world around you. We must recognize that we are not alone. But friends, it's time that we also recognize if we have faith in Jesus Christ as we walk around this community, we are having an impact. We have an impact on the world around us. We are living Jesus out for others. Paul's letting them know, he's saying, hey, keep it up. Wherever you go, whatever you do, Keep on keeping your love, your hope placed on Jesus. And in doing so, your impact will continue to grow. You are having an impact on the world around you. Keep on going. Be encouraged. I see it. It's been observed by others. So keep on going. Is there anything more encouraging to be told? Hey, you had an impact on my life. I'm telling you right now, friends, one, you are not alone in your faith walk, but two, you are having a faith walk. If you have said yes to Jesus when you walk out of this building and your love, your hope is placed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, you walk out of here and you are having an impact on the world around you. There is no one in this room who does not have influence on the individuals around them. And if your hope is placed on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are demonstrating his love to the world around you. We must recognize that we are not alone, but we must also recognize that we have impact on the world around us. So let's continue then. We've got the first two things. Going back to verse five, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I think of someone who, is, uh, who likes to work out or someone who is trying to lose weight, is there, is there, anything, is there anything that uh, is more motivating than being like, hey man, you working out? Yeah. And it might even just be like, they worked out once in a month, but that one person who came up to them and said, you've been working out? Yeah. Three weeks ago, I did like two push-ups. But you know what? Because of that one comment, 
guess what that person does tomorrow? Three push-ups. And the more and more they hear, hear, you've been working out? Yeah. I notice it. I notice it. You've been losing some weight? Yeah. I lost two ounces last week. I notice it. Keep going. Paul's looking at, he's writing to the church of Colossae. And he's saying, look, your growth, the same growth that is being experienced all throughout the world, I notice it. I see it. It's happening. You're not alone. You're having an impact. And man, you look good in faith. So keep on going. Keep on going. Keep on understanding that there is a God who is chasing after you. Braden came into my office. He came in. He was ready to tell me about his faith and how it has made him a new man. And I was able to look back at him, and I, and I, I, I looked at him, and I was able to tell him, Braden, I, I, I met you a year ago, and it is amazing to see how you have grown. You want to talk about, you want to talk about moving a kid? You want to talk about moving someone in faith? You tell them. You tell them just how much you've seen them grow. Now, I know, this is, I'm biased. I'm a words of affirmation guy. I know not all of us are words of affirmation people. I get it. Some of us are super awkward in accepting compliments. But we must all, we must all be told and realize and recognize our own growth. Man, there is, can you, can, let's, if there was one challenge I could give you this week, to meditate and to reflect and to think about you a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. How has God grown you, changed you, moved you? Where is your faith walk now from just two days ago, five days ago, ten years ago? And when we look back on what God has done, we can't help but keep moving forward because we get amped up. Just like a bodybuilder who goes from lifting 10 pounds to 11 pounds. He then feels like, I can keep on going. And in our faith walk, we need to be told, you are growing. You need to realize that all of a sudden, when you weren't patient in then, and you are patient out now, remember that. So often, why do we do that? Why do we just keep on forgetting? We keep on thinking to ourselves, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and about what God is doing in your life. He's growing in you, and he's working in you. You are not alone. None of you, me included. We are not alone. And if you even feel alone in this building, please come to me. Go to Ben, go to the Dooleys, go to Janae, go to Sarah, go to Bailey. Go to Bailey first. He needs, he's the intern. You're not alone. God's chasing after you. You have impact. Not because of your decisions, not because of your will, not because of what you're doing, because of who lives in you. And who we want to be overflowing from you when you go into the world. And three, you're growing. The fact that you're here right now means that you are growing. The Holy Spirit is working on your life, that, you would, that he would be able to take you and do more in 
your life. Now, I'm out of time, and I didn't get through the rest of the scripture that I wanted to get through. 9 through 14 essentially does this. So Paul has spent the first eight verses filling up our hearts, filling up our hearts so that we would be motivated, that we would be encouraged and uplifted to go out into the world and to keep ongoing. And he takes verses 9 through 14 to simply do this. Now, for this reason, he says, for this reason, because of all everything I've just listed, we continually pray for you that you would go and do, that you would go and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that you would go and understand that we should continually give thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Friends, right here, right now, all of us have made mistakes. We have sinned. We have failed. We have made the wrong decision. But friends, it wasn't God, it wasn't us who qualified ourselves to be God, God's children. It was God who qualified us. So let us not think to ourselves, oh no, I've disqualified myself. No, it was never you who qualified yourself to begin with. It was all God. All you have to do is say, yes, God, please, God, I received you, God, and you have been qualified to become a child of God. So for this reason, go and do. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Friends, I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're uplifted. I hope that you leave here after this Sunday. I don't know how you couldn't leave here this Sunday feeling so incredibly filled up so that you are overflowing with the love of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. God, we give you all the glory for what you're doing, for what you have done, and for what you will continue to do in and through us and for us. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you have blessed us with so that we get to know you more. God, I pray on my behalf and on the church's behalf, Lord, go before us this week. Would you remind us, God, of everything, of where you've taken us from and how you are continuing to use us for your kingdom. Father, give us hearts of thanksgiving, understanding that you loved us even when we were unlovable. Help us to live this out for your glory. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, all in the name of Jesus, we pray. And God's children say, amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 1030 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.